Last time I was here, I was a guest speaker, and now I'm your interim campus pastor. Lucky you. <laughs> but really lucky me. I have to tell you, when they, uh, when they spoke to me and said, are you interested in being the interim campus pastor at Woodbine, I did think about it. I did pray about it, but it was all I could do, not in that moment, to just say, oh, yeah, can I please? Can I please do that? That's going to be great. That's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm excited to be here, and the lucky one, the lucky one is me. I've spent the last couple months participating in your services, listening to the different guest speakers. A special shout-out to Brett. Last, on the last day of the year, Brett gave us the encouraging word that we needed to hear. And while I've enjoyed having all the variety of worship leaders, I'm so thrilled that we get an experienced man of God like Adam to lead us each week. This is a great place, and we're going to be spending some time together. And so I thought as we did that, I've been learning your stories, I've been getting to know you, but most of you don't really know me, so I thought I'd start out today just by telling you a little bit about me and how I came to be here. So you have a little bit of context of who I am and where I come from. The first thing you need to know is that I'm not actually from Nashville. I know that's a shock. You Probably everybody else you meet is from Nashville, but I'm not from here. Although, interestingly, my father was born in Nashville. We have Tennessee roots going back hundreds of years. But I'm a Florida guy. I grew up in Newport Ritchie. It's this small town just north of Tampa. Spent 13 years there and all my early schooling before moving to Miami. I moved to Miami in 1988 to attend the University of... Miami. Stayed in Miami for 29 years, but something really interesting that I did not expect happened to me almost as soon as I moved to South Florida, and that was this. I encountered some other older, more mature Christians who challenged me with this idea. They said that since we were in one of the greatest multicultural cities in the world, perhaps, just perhaps, we should try to build churches that were multicultural that we could have multicultural Christian community. And I was so struck by that idea that I developed, um, I devoted a significant part of my early adulthood to that, a lot of my time, a lot of my energy, a lot of my money. I helped plant and start a church, La Vina del Señor. It was multicultural, it was bilingual, and if you've ever been part of something like that, starting something like that, I mean, it is, it's just fun. Now, if you're in this congregation this morning and you're listening to me tell that story, you're probably asking yourself the question, does that Anglo guy, does he actually speak Spanish? And I would respond to you, en boca cerrada, no entran moscas. Now, if you don't speak Spanish, you're kind of wondering what I just said, and I'll clue you in. I'm actually just, I just gave 100% of the Spanish that I know. I spent all those years in bilingual ministry, but the person, in, the person in my family that speaks Spanish is my wife. I was so struck by the idea of helping a church grow that I actually structured my business around it. I built a business specifically to give me enough time that I could devote a lot of energy to ministry. But about a dozen years ago, I transitioned from uh, the business world to the ministry world. I Went into full-time ministry, which was also something that I did not see coming. But I started to serve as the stewardship pastor at a large church in Miami, Christ Fellowship. It's a multi-site Southern Baptist church in many ways, quite a lot, like Brentwood, but in an entirely different context. I did that for a few years, and when that ended, that's when our journey brought us to Tennessee. 
because I went to work for Dave Ramsey. You might have heard of him. He's got a big building just kind of south of the city. And we moved here about six years ago. We joined Brentwood Baptist. We've been members at the West Franklin campus almost since the time we arrived. But I worked for Dave a little bit over three years. And when that ended, they offered me the position of stewardship minister here at Brentwood. I've been doing that about two and a half years. And I'm still doing that. But two weeks ago, I got the call and they said, can you, can you serve the people at Woodbine? And that is a very short version of a much longer story of how a guy from Florida came to be on your stage preaching to you today. Now, when we moved here, I brought, I brought my family because they didn't want to stay in South Florida. They wanted to come with me, which was great. And I brought them today. You're going to be seeing a lot of them. So I'm going to introduce them, which they love. They love that. So my wife, Julie, we will be married 26 years next February. My daughter, Erin, is 15. My son, Derek, he is 10 years old. And when we moved here, we decided to do something different. By we, I mean Julie and I. All my life, I'd looked in Florida. If you've ever been in Florida, I mean, it's great. There's a lot of things about Florida that are nice, but every community basically looks the same. Yes? Like all the houses are in these subdivisions with ridiculous names. And it's one of you move into a house, it's one of five or maybe 10 variations of that same house. And you're in these little tiny lots. I mean, the weather's great, the people are nice, but everything kind of looks the same and it's sort of small. And we moved here and Julie said, you know what, honey, I'd like to try something different. Let's get some land. I said, oh, okay. Okay, well, this was a little bit earlier on when land was still reasonably affordable here in the middle Tennessee area. So we sold our place in Miami and we bought what we called a farm. I mean, if you're from Florida, five acres, that's a farm. And the farm was west of Nashville. It's actually right on the, on the Williamson and Davidson County border. And we had five acres. The kids would run around. I had a barn. I had things on the property that I didn't know what they were. And there was this house. The house was built, as far as I could tell, at least the foundation of the house was built in about the 1930s. And this house was not like any house we'd ever lived in. And not just because it was being built when my grandparents were young, although there are great stories and they're expensive and highly entertaining about some of the things that happened to us in this house. But unlike all the houses I lived in Florida where they were all the same, this one was different because it had a story before we got there. And here's what I mean. We bought the property from a woman who'd owned it about 20 years with her husband. She had bought the property from a family of professional land surveyors who actually still live and work in Fairview. And as nearly as I can figure, they bought the property from this pastor who had a lot of children and a reputation. And his reputation was that if you were a young couple eloping in the 30s or 40s or whenever he was there, you would go by his house and he would marry you on the porch. And the woman we bought the house from, she told us that in the 20 years that she'd lived there, more than one time she had actually had somebody stop by the house, introduce themselves and say, our parents or our grandparents were married on the porch of this house. And the longer we lived in this house and the more we were in this community, we would meet people that had stories about our house. That's a little bit strange because we thought that we were living in a house and the story was about us, but the house had a story of its own. It started before we got there. It went on while we were there. And then we lasted in the country just to let you know, it was just about three years. That was about enough. That was about enough time for us. We sold the place. We moved into town for a whole bunch of reasons. It's a longer story, and we love it, but I stayed friends with the guy that bought the house, and every once in a while we get together. You know what we talk about? We talk about the house, 
because he's met other people that have still other stories about this house. In just a few years, that house will be 100 years old. And while we were living there, I said to Julie, this is the strangest thing. I don't feel like this is our story. I feel like we are living in someone else's story. I bet you've had that. I bet, I bet you've had something like that. Maybe it wasn't a house. Maybe, maybe when you got married or maybe when you were dating the person who was going to become your spouse, you went to like his or her family reunion and they came from a really big family. And, and maybe if you weren't married yet, like maybe she brought a different boyfriend the year before. And they kept confusing your name. Why? You thought that story was about you. No, that, that family had a story. That family had a story before you got there. And you weren't really part of that story, at, at least not yet. Julie and I had been married about a year when we had my 10-year high school reunion. When I say we had my 10-year high school reunion, I don't mean Julie and me because we didn't go to the same high school. But I'm very extroverted and extremely persuasive. Somehow I talked her into coming to this high school reunion. Do you think this was comfortable for her? Not one bit. They should actually put the spouses at those things just at a completely different table. Because she's stepping into a story that has nothing to do with her Ridgewood High School class of 1988. She doesn't understand why these people are sitting at one table and why these people are sitting at another table and why she's looking at him that way and why those two girls won't speak to each other. Is this true? It wasn't her story. Maybe, maybe you've worked for somebody and you, man, you were, you were employee of the month. Like you were getting great reviews. You were, you were just having the time of your life. You thought that your job was all about you and your satisfaction and your contribution to the world. And you thought about, you thought that was true right up until the time they called you into a special meeting. Have you ever been in that meeting? And they bring you a big empty box. And they say, oh, you know, we really like you, but your services here are no longer required. What's going on? You thought that job was about you. But it turns out that job was about the company. Now, I've met some of you, most of you, I don't know that well yet, but I know something about all of you. I know that it's true about you because I know that it's true about me. And here's what I know. Whatever story it's in, whatever story we're in, we want to be the star, right? I mean, we want to be the star of every story because we can only see the world from inside our own head. And if you're married, you know this is true. You're married, you promise to love, honor, obey all the things that you promise. And we grew up in church. We're committed to putting our spouse's needs in front of our own. And every day, do we do that? We do not. We do not. Or if you do, you're lying to me right now. Because what's going on? We want the spouse to be part of our story. Every mother that I've ever known has the same middle name. Did you know that? Every mother in the world has the same middle name. It's different in every language, but it translates to this. I need. Mom, I need. Mom, I need. Mom, maybe it's mom I want, but usually it's mom I need. Mom, I need lunch. Mom, I need $10. Mom, I need a ride. Mom, I need. Mom, I need. Mom, I need. What's going on? Our children are just like we are. They're very self-centered. To a child, the world is all about him or it's all about her. And the mom and the dad, they're just actors in the child's story. Isn't that true? It's totally true. But what if the story isn't about us at all? 
what if the story isn't about me and it isn't about you, but it's something bigger and more mysterious and more exciting than anything we could dream up on our own? What would it be like to find our place in that story? And this morning, we are going to look at God's story of the world, how it starts, and how we can find our place in it. We're going to look at a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm going to give you one main idea, and when we get there, I'm going to let you know what it is, and then I'm going to challenge us to do something together, but maybe not Maybe not for the reason that you think. So with that as an introduction, I'd like you to stand. While together, we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's going to appear on the screen. And this is what the Word of God says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. And as we continue to read, we see God creating the sky, the earth, the waters, He puts fish in the sea, plants on the ground, birds in the air, animals on the land. And finally, in verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. You can sit down. Genesis 1 is the account of the creation of of the world. We sometimes talk about people that are powerful speakers. There is no speaker more powerful than God. When I speak, I work to persuade people with my words. I want to teach. I want to instruct. But when God speaks, he creates something out of nothing. And it's amazing. Genesis chapter 1 is filled with majesty. It's filled with power. It's poetic, and best of all, it's true. And so to help us understand how this relates to us, this morning I have brought a globe. This is a representation of the earth, of what God created. Now, this is not my globe. I borrowed it from a neighbor. And every time I get one of these, I don't know about you, geography was never my thing in school. So I look at it and I'm seeing all these countries and these places. I'm like, oh, that's where that is. You know, if you spin this, this is great. You can see the waters that God created. You can see how God separated 
the ocean and the seas from the land. You can even, if you get close enough, you can see where there's deserts, where there's lakes, mountains are represented on this globe. Uh, I actually looked at this when I had my reading glasses on, which you almost need to see it, but Tennessee is here. And in fact, on this globe, Nashville made the cut. There's like a little dot for for Nashville. It's pretty neat. You can sit at this. You can sit and look at this and learn a ton of things and understand the diversity and the complexity of God's creation. Now, every globe that I've ever looked at is tilted at this angle. On this angle, you may not know, is 23 and a half degrees. You know why I know that? Because I looked it up so I could tell you. So you would be impressed. 23 and a half degrees. And the reason the globe is tilted at 23 and a half degrees is because the actual earth is that has that same amount of tilt relative to the direction it travels around the sun. And so if you were to draw a line from the North Pole to the South Pole, right through the center, we would have the axis. You all have heard this before, right? So the earth is going to spin on its axis. It spins once every 24 hours. You know the rate of spin of the earth? I looked that up too. A thousand miles an hour. It's pretty cool, right? I mean, there's an imaginary line that goes from the top to the bottom, and the earth is spinning around that at 1,000 miles an hour. And we're traveling through space at 67,000 miles every hour. So if this morning you're sitting here and you're feeling a little dizzy, a little queasy, sick to your stomach, that's just because we're going really fast and, and spinning really quickly. It's, it's, it's okay, I promise. Now, this globe is about 18 inches from top to bottom, but the actual Earth is between 7,900 and 8,000 miles. And if I were to go to the North Pole or anywhere in the Earth and start to dig a hole, if I had the equipment to do it, I would get through some snow, some rocks, some different minerals. Eventually, we'd scientists tell us we'd get through the crust of the Earth and then the mantle of the Earth, and then we start getting deeper and deeper. The Earth gets warmer. We've got magma down there. That's what comes up when we have a volcano. It turns into lava. We all know this, right? The center of the Earth is very hot. We haven't been there, but we're pretty sure we know it's there. You ever wonder what's inside the globe? I mean, I've never opened one of these things up. But I kind of wonder, if this is a model of the earth, what would be inside it? Is the whole thing solid? I mean, are there little support structures? Is there plastic or metal in there? So I thought this morning is an experiment. We could just from the top to the bottom, cut it open and see what's inside. Then I thought some more about it and remembered that I am not good with hand tools and I borrowed the globe from my neighbor and I want to continue to get invited over for dinner. So we're not going to cut it open. But I know for sure something that we would not find if we looked in there. If we were to cut that from top to bottom, right along the axis, and look in the center of the globe, what we would not find is a small replica of me. Or a small replica of you. And the reason we would not find that is because the world does not revolve around us. It revolves on its axis the way God intended. And in Genesis 1, we see very clearly that the world does not revolve around us. This is our idea for today 
It's not your story. The story of the universe, the story of the earth, everything about us is not ours. The story is God's. He began the story, he continues the story, and he will end it when he decides. Each of us has a story. We want the world to revolve around us. It simply doesn't. doesn't mean that your story is not important. I mean, we read at the end of Genesis chapter 1 that God created man different than all his other creations. We are created in his image, in his likeness. And not only that, Brett gave us a reminder last week in Adam. We heard the word again this morning. He made us stewards. That is, we're to be managers of all that he created. God created this amazing world and gave it to us to take care of, he says, to rule it, to subdue it, to manage it. I'm a stewardship minister. I think it's great that we talk about stewardship of the earth, but we're still stewards of a story that's not ours. Just as my family lived in a house that only belonged to us for a season, there is a bigger story. The story is not about you. We want to think that it is. We want to think that our entire existence is about what we want, what we need, how I can be fulfilled, how I can be the best that I can be. Maybe maybe you're coming this morning with a significant amount of hurt from something in the past, and you think your story is all about that hurt. I'm not minimizing. I'm not minimizing the hurt that brought you to the place that you are. I'm just telling you this. God, God is writing a different story. We are part of a story that doesn't belong to us. Now, your story is important. I want to get to know your story. I've already started that process. I've been asking people, I said, hey, I'm going to be the interim pastor of Woodbine. What can I do? They're like, well, um, try not to mess up the preaching They don't actually say that, but that's what they mean. They say, get to know people. They said, the people are great. So I've been doing that. I've been meeting with some of you. I want to meet all of you. In fact, after church today, we've got soup Sunday. Okay, it's it's like my wife's almost her first week here. She brought soup. You guys should come check it out. We got soup Sunday in the fellowship hall. I want to hear your stories. And you all should know each other's stories. Uh, Everybody... Every Christian community is a collection of stories. We have something that brought us here. You know a little bit of mine. I want to know yours. But every time I get in front of a church, any group of people, I'm very mindful of the fact that all of our stories have chapters. And sometimes the chapters are bad. And sometimes they're good. And so this morning, maybe you're here and you're in a bad chapter and the doctor called and you got results you weren't expecting or didn't want to hear. You might be caring for a loved one and it's just a tough season. You've got a child that's a prodigal. And you said, hey, Ken, you gave that illustration about losing your job. Have you read my mail? Because that happened to me just last week. I didn't read your mail. But in a group this size, somebody's struggling. There's no question. Somebody in in our church today is in a bad, bad chapter. Here's what I want to tell you. That's your part of the story, but it's not the story. God, God is the one writing the story. And we don't know what he's doing. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And maybe you're the opposite of that. Maybe you're here, you're, you're in a good season. You're like, hey, Ken, if I were doing any better, I would be twins. 
I mean, we just, we just got a raise. We just moved into a house we never thought we'd be able to afford. I had a guy call me up and just give me a car. I mean, like, your life is going great. Can, you had your first grandchild. Your kids are excelling at school. Everything's wonderful. I'm going to tell you what, as well as things are going, that's not you. That's God. God is writing a story out of the pieces and components, the relationships of your life. That's what we learn in Genesis 1. Should the only name in the first chapter of Genesis is God? It appears 32 times. You know whose name isn't there? Yours or mine. If God architected the foundation of the world, he has a purpose and a plan for every one of us. Even if we can't see it, even if we don't like it, even even if we don't know what it is. And it's for that reason that I'm going to ask us to do something. Our entire church at all of our campuses, we are challenging every person in our church to read through the Bible in a year. Now, if we're honest, probably many of us have tried to read through the Bible in a year, and some years we've made it, and then some years we haven't. There's parts of the Bible that, like, I'm not, I'm not really sure why it is that I'm reading that, if we're being honest. I think this year could be different, because here's the thing. I don't want us to read the Bible just so we can learn stuff. I mean, I'm all about learning things. I think we should learn. I like learning new things. I'm learning all the time. I like learning new things. I like teaching new things. I'm all about it. But if you guys knew that you're coming to church today and we're doing Genesis chapter 1 and you were hopeful that I could stand up here and teach you something about Genesis 1 that you didn't know, I mean, it's kind of all done in the first sentence, right? God created the heavens and the earth. We can keep learning but I'm much less interested in what we learn, what we know, than understanding our purpose and our place in the bigger story. Does that make sense? Here's what I mean. If you're doing a scripture reading challenge simply to check things off a list, maybe that's not the best reason. Maybe the best reason to engage in scripture is so that you can understand your place in God's story. So you reframe and recast your expectations of the entire world. So that you start to see the world through the eyes of God and his plan rather than trying to make the world revolve around you, which only leads us to disappointment time after time. One main idea, it's not your story. One main challenge, to read through the Bible in a year, not just to learn, but to find our place in a story. That's the challenge. Listen, all the cool kids are doing it. You have been getting emails last year. Maybe you bought this Bible. How many of you bought one of these last year when we had them on sale? Okay, so a lot of us have this. This is great. Have you started reading it already? We have. Okay, there's a, some of us are nodding. Some of us are refusing to make eye contact. Here's what I'm going to let you know. This is organized into little chunks, all right? And there's for every seven days, there's six readings. There's a very helpful guide at the beginning of each section in each reading that helps put it into context. 
not a context that's about you and your world, but about your place and God's bigger vision for the planet. Actually, I was chatting with Hunter this morning. Hunter said, you know what, Ken? He says, I've read the first six days. I'm like, game on. I was at Waffle House yesterday with my son. We love going to Waffle House on Saturday morning. Judge all you like. The waitress asks my son. She doesn't ask me. My son is much more popular than I am whenever we go out together. She says, Derek, have you made any New Year's resolutions? And he looks at me and says, should I tell her? I've resolved to read through the Bible in a year. The waitress said, you know, I've tried to do that so many times. I've all, I always fail. Let me know how that goes. We've made it easy. You're going to get an email with a link to buy this if you didn't get one. Uh, if that doesn't work for you, we have the reading plan is uploaded into you version, which almost all of us have on our phone. And if you're like, no, I'm not a smartphone guy, and that Bible is big enough to be used as a weapon, I'd rather use my own scripture, then in back, we have the first 13 weeks of the reading plan on this bookmark. And all you need to do is pick one up and read along with us. We want to find our place in God's story. Look, you have an interim campus pastor. I think we know that this season is going to be a season of transition at Woodbine. This is not a secret, and it's not a surprise. What better way to navigate a transition than by finding our place in God's bigger story. 2024, this is going to be an amazing year. I don't know why yet. You don't know why yet. I don't know everything that's going to happen, but you know who knows? God knows. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth He created you. He created me. He put you in a family. He created this church. He has a purpose and a plan that we may not see yet, but together we can find our place. Thank you.